Gambling has been a part of sports for as long as there have been sports. The first player banned for life from baseball was George Bechtel, who was fixing games with the Louisville Grays in 1876. The following year, 1877, four players on that Louisville team were banned for life after it was discovered they were accepting money to lose games. In fact, the National League in baseball, as we know it today, was created in the 1870s solely to stop gambling from influencing the sport itself. Now, sports have always been absolutist, though, when it comes to their players gambling. You know, see Pete Rose or the recent suspension of Shane Pinto of the Ottawa Senators. It seems pretty hypocritical, doesn't it? Considering leagues are now expanding to Las Vegas, not for the fan base, which may or may not exist, but to get closer to the sports gambling community, which increasingly pays the bills through commercials and sponsorships and announcers rating ad copy during games. This is what we're going to talk about on today's podcast. My name is Eric Bowman. I'm the communications person at the Canadian Psychological Association, and this is Mindful. For the second time on this podcast, we are going to welcome a Canadian Olympian today. And for, I think, the third time, we'll be speaking with Dr. Steve Jordans at the University of Toronto. Today, we're going to talk about sports gambling, and specifically the advertising of sports gambling, which is now so pervasive that it's almost impossible to watch sports at all without being constantly bombarded with gambling ads. Let's meet today's guests. Steve, we've met you before. So Bruce, uh, you're new to the program, a new voice for our listeners. Let's start with you. What can I say about myself? Uh, I'm a retired professor of sport policy at the University of Toronto. I'm currently the ombudsperson at the University of Toronto. And as one of my part-time interests, I'm chair of the campaign to ban ads for gambling, about which I hope we can talk this morning. Terrific. We will talk about that. And uh, Steve, uh, our returning champion, let's have you introduce yourself now. Well, I'm, I'm a professor of psychology at University of Toronto. Uh, Bruce was actually my boss for a while. He was the, the head of uh, the University of Toronto Scarborough, where I teach. Uh, so I got to know Bruce quite well. Very interested in psychology in general. I was also very concerned when I saw how aggressive a lot of the, the ads for sports gambling were. And I happened to see Bruce on TV, an old friend on TV, um, leading the charge against this. And so I was uh, very impressed with what he was doing and reached out to see how it if, if at all, I could help. I love that we're, we're talking about this now, and I almost worry that we're at a point where it's sort of spiraled so out of control. Is there any, you know, putting this genie back in the bottle? So, Bruce, let's start with you. I mean, what is the goal of your organization and what do you hope to see happen as a result of your, I would call them lobbying efforts. Would I be accurate in saying lobbying efforts? Yes. Well, first and foremost, we want the Canadian Parliament to ban ads for sports betting and other forms of gambling the way they previously banned ads for tobacco and cannabis. We want to do that because of the tremendous harm that results from gambling and the way in which the ads groom people, particularly children, youth, and other vulnerable people, to gamble. So the intensity of gambling, the frequency of gambling, the size of bets as a result of gambling, all of these, and the research is very clear on this, accentuate 
the problems. So you won't eliminate the problems if you ban ads for gambling, but you'll reduce them considerably. And this is particularly the case for children and youth who cannot legally bet, but because they follow sports, because uh, they're taken up by the the affirmation, the legitimation, the very favorable presentation about sports betting that the ads present, because they're they're taken up by the fact that commentators, not paid advertisers, but the sports commentators talk up the bets as they are commenting on the game. They, children and youth, see sports betting as a normal thing to do and find a way into their parents' wallets to get out credit cards, find a way to register for sport betting accounts and become involved. And there is a ton of evidence to show that across Canada, children and youth have become involved in betting. On a podcast not so long ago conducted by the Canadian Mental Health Association, the lead educator for Saskatchewan told us all that she has shifted the target of her educational campaigns about the harms of gambling from grade nine to grade one as a result of the tsunami of ads that we now have about sports betting. So it won't take, it won't move the problem away, but it'll significantly reduce the incidence of of the problems by reducing the ads. And the research from around the world is very clear about that. No doubt. And I was thinking about this the other day, just because, you know, watching football on a Sunday, watching the Grey Cup, and so much of the league's marketing is geared toward children because they want children to love being at the games and love the sport, take up the sport, become the next superstars in the sport and follow along, you know, have team allegiance for your whole lifetime. And uh, that's what the NFL wants, the CFL, the NHL. But it is impossible to watch any sporting event now. I mean, even, you know, a rugby sevens match that they're showing at 2 a.m. on TSN, you're still going to get sports gambling nonstop throughout the entire uh, broadcast. And I've never considered that those ads would be targeted toward children. Do you think that they are targeted toward children or do they just catch children up in there just in the fact that they're so pervasive that children get caught up in it? Or are they targeting them in, in particular to make them the sports gamblers of the future, do you think? I'm not sure about the targeting. I'm suspicious of that, but I really don't have any evidence to say that confidently. But I I can say confidently that children and youth are taken up with them and uh, they become uh, uh, socialized, uh, groomed to these these betting habits and the, the idea that betting is a normal part of the game. And I've heard over the course of the last few months, literally hundreds of anecdotes about that. One of the senators who spoke to the private member's bill now working its way through the Senate to regulate ads for, for sports betting talked about discussing it with his grandkids and uh, those grandkids saw nothing wrong with the fact that they were eager to establish betting accounts. Of course, you know, from a psychology perspective too, we are, we are all psychologists and we know that the very first learning mechanism, you know, before operant conditioning kicks in, before anything else kicks in, 
observational learning is the most powerful. So, so kids watch and they mimic. And when they're seeing a world in which gambling is so intertwined with sports, that it's not only seen as a natural part of it, it's often even marketed as the extension that if you're a real fan, you'll take this next step. So it's all almost you know marketed as this sort of glowing thing and if children are, are seeing this as a normal part of the world if they're seeing the adults in their life engage in this behavior absolutely they're going to be raised with without their spider senses tingling which is which is sort of the point i think here like if you're at least banning it right like we do with cigarettes like we do with cannabis it's at least society sending a message that says there's something to be careful of here there's a danger here now maybe you want to you know flirt with that danger okay but at least doing it knowing there's a danger what's so nasty about the way the sports advertising is now is it's just normalized to the point where it's being associated with celebrities and people that these kids like and admire already they are the the you know people that are talking about the sports gambling and so while it may not be targeted in the sense of they're really customizing the ad for children there's absolutely no doubt that children are in the crosshairs children are their revenue source for continuing revenue so they absolutely want to bring them into the pipeline if we use entrepreneurial terms and you know keep them in there and and keep having their money available to them and you know and there's a there's another there's sort of really tricky aspect to this, which is a lot of the networks. Why is it so entwined? The networks themselves have deals with the sports gambling companies. It's not just somebody advertising on their program. They have become totally entwined. And, you know, I think that sends the absolute wrong message to our children where we should be signaling, hey, there is danger here. Maybe it's something you want to do. Maybe if you have the finances available and the willpower to do it right, fine, but let's not just make it not just normal, but something that you should be doing if you're a sports fan. And that's how it feels now. It definitely does. And I mean, you're right. There are a lot of uh, celebrities advertising these things, right? Wayne Gretzky and Connor McDavid and John Goodman does a lot of them. Kids love John Goodman. But, uh, you know, the, the one thing that you're talking about, and I think this is something that really strikes me every time I see it, you're watching, let's say, an American sporting event, uh, but you're watching it on a Canadian channel. And the Canadian channel w- will run their own commercials when we go to break. So we're not seeing the American commercials, but they go to break. And every time they do, there are two talking heads on TSN or Sportsnet or whatever it might be. And all they're talking about is who scored that first touchdown? Did that meet the better's expectations? Where are we on the over-under? You know, and that's the entire thing. They're not even breaking down the the play in the first quarter, in the first period. They're they're breaking down the gambling odds that right. And so yeah. that's that's what seems so insidious to me. Now, Steve, you wrote an excellent blog post where you talk about the weaponization of psychology when these things happen. And I, I imagine that's what you were talking about earlier. But I'm also thinking that over the years, you know, psychology has been used to advertise absolutely everything that that we see on TV. And you were mentioning, you know, cigarettes. We've banned the advertising of cigarettes because we know that that's, you know, very harmful and that makes sense to do. But we've been talking a lot in recent weeks on this podcast about addictions in general. And, you know, we're, we're talking about decriminalizing, you know, illicit substances that are currently illegal because from a public health perspective, it makes a lot of sense. But when you're looking at the addictive properties of various things, right, you can advertise coffee 
and you can show people drinking coffee in your ad. You can advertise booze, but you can't show people drinking booze in the ad. You can't advertise cigarettes at all, right? And I'm wondering if if you guys have thoughts on this weird hierarchy of what we've decided is acceptable, isn't acceptable, the little, uh, you know, limits that we've placed on these things and where gambling falls into that. Should that, should it be on the cigarette end of the continuum, no advertising cigarettes, the way even if we decriminalized all illegal drugs, we wouldn't be allowed to advertise heroin, right? Would that be, would it be on that end of things? My first response would be that there are authorities, and Steve is one of them, on the seriousness of the addiction involved in these in these messages and these substances. And to the best of my knowledge, subject to Steve's correction, addiction to gambling is the only non-substance form of addiction that is legally designated as such by the American psychological association or the american psychiatric association so it it has been judged by a slew of experts over time as so serious in the harm that it creates that it needs to be put on a special list a special list of addictions that cause harm for me that is the argument for banning these ads the ads work lots of research on that uh, if if the ads work, they increase the amount of gambling and therefore the amount of addiction. They therefore increase the amount of harm. So let's, as, as a harm reduction strategy, reduce uh, the ads. That's not enough. There has to be other forms of education. There has to be the removal of some forms of sport from the counter of the betting companies and so on and so forth. But first of all, banning the ads is an important step in the right direction. I would say a couple of things. I think it's first good for us to understand how tricky this is. I, I go back to you know the House of the Rising Sun, 1960s, the animals, and and you know already a song about the dangers of gambling and then gambling sort of tearing somebody's life apart. But at least in that song, he had to talk about getting on a train and going back to New Orleans to gamble. Right, you had to go through some effort and work uh, in order to support that addiction, and it still was supported. Now, you know, we're all carrying New Orleans around in our pocket, right? The the the, the casino is right there. And the kids have the casino right there. And so the step for an advertiser to make is a very small one. You know, literally pull out your phone and just bet. We all know from psychology with random rewards, how, how, quickly random rewards can support some behavior and keep it there and make it resistant to extinction. And that's exactly what gambling is. And so, you know, what I would say is, first of all, we need some message. So right now the message is gamble, you know, the message is just, there's nothing to suggest there's anything wrong with it. At the very least, we need something there to say, hey, think twice. But I'm I'm in agreement with Bruce that I think it's very important that society realizes that psychological addictions um, can be every bit as as nasty as biological uh, addictions, and and that includes things like video game addiction too. You know, we're really focusing on sports gambling here, but there are a lot of situations where the use of random rewards can addict somebody into a behavior that negatively impacts their life, and that's where it really becomes a problem in a psychological sense. And certainly, we know that's true with gambling. And so, to see it just thrown out there as though there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. 
That has to change. And the most obvious way is to ban the marketing. You mentioned the 1960s. And actually, I think that song is a traditional song. It's been around for many, many years before that. I think it was recorded first by Woody Guthrie a few decades earlier. I mean, we've known about this forever, really. And and Bruce, I'm curious, though, talking about the 60s, you were an Olympian in the 60s. And... I imagine that that was, it was an entirely different time to be an Olympian than it would be today, right? Uh, sponsorships and that sort of deal, right? The people that fund your training, that manage to put you through into the Olympics. I, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that from your personal experience. I mean, was gambling even on the radar when you were in the Olympics in, in the 60s? It wasn't on the radar. I have one funny story I can tell you about that, but it was not on my horizon in any way at all. People went to the racetrack to bet. I I worked for the Toronto Star as a way of earning my tuition because I paid my own way through university. And I worked as a stringer for the Star one day a week and then in the newsroom, you know, Monday to Friday during during the summers. And there were some it 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 was it was widely acknowledged that the first edition of the Toronto Star, which sold about twenty-five thousand copies, was primarily to give the people who went to the racetrack the information about those races so they could place their bets. And there was a legendary star writer, Joe Perlove, who wrote wrote a column. But similar to what Steve said about the casino or about having to take the train to New Orleans, you had there there were probably bookmakers around the city, but uh, there was only one race every thirty minutes. Right. And to place a legal bet, you, you had to go out to the track. Even then, there were people who lost their jobs and lost their marriages and uh, ended up uh, in very difficult circumstances because they overextended themselves in betting. The, 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 the one story, <laughs> and I'm, it, it, it's funny, many of my races were televised. Right. And, but, but track wasn't a marquee sport, so sometimes they would be you know, televised a day later, two days later, maybe a week later. I was in the, the locker room at the University of Toronto when one of the a swimmer, an outstanding swimmer by the name of Tom Berth, who became an outstanding dentist in Toronto, came uh, came you know down the locker room with a big smile and gave me ten bucks, which in those days was a ton of money. And he laughed and he laughed and he laughed, and he said, "I won this in Syracuse last Saturday night in a bar where your race you know was on the screen and and someone." who knew I was from Toronto, uh, wanted to bet against you. Well, I knew that the race was two weeks old and that you'd won. So I had no trouble making that bet, and we won. So here's half of what I won. (laughs) That's my only betting story. So you started this all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, anyway, uh, but... Tom won that because he knew the results and those races were infrequently televised. Whereas today, as Steve said, somebody said the other day that if there are 300 pitchers, pitchers in an average baseball game, you could place 300 bets on pitches alone. Yeah. That's the difference from the 60s. 
Oh, for sure. And I think you've touched on something there too. this, this idea that betting was just a, you know, some sort of camaraderie between friends, unless, right. You had to physically go somewhere to do it legitimately. There were probably bookies throughout the city, but there was something seedy about that, that, that we knew that was uh, involved with organized crime, all the major scandals, the black Sox scandal and all that, like it comes out of organized crime that would, right. So there was something seedy about it. And now it's so much more mainstreamed. I remember being in Vegas and sitting down at the MGM grand casino in the area where they had the sports on TV and I was absolutely stunned at what you could bet on. It was too overwhelming for me to even think about betting on anything. It was just, you know, like there's a hurling match happening in Scotland somewhere that you could put a bet on. <laughs> and it was on the TV here. And uh, I don't even know what that sport is, but uh, I guess I could. Like, it was just too much, right? But now that's sort of, it's no longer that you have to go to Vegas to get that. You can get the too much right away. And I think there's something to be, there's something to the power of these sports gambling websites and books and entities that one, they have the financial capability to purchase basically all the ads and the announcers on all of these major sporting events. That's huge. It also is a testament to how easy it is to make money from the people who are using this, this app. And I think further that it's it's almost going a little further now in that there are some of these things that started out as sports books, uh, maybe for fantasy football or something that now are advertising that their app comes with all of the casino games as well, right? It's no longer just sports, but you can also go in there and you can play roulette and you can play blackjack and you can play online poker. And that made me think about online poker, which has been a thing for long, 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 long time, but never seemed to explode the way that specifically gambling on sports did. And and Steve, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that, uh, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe online poker was as serious an issue at one point as, as sports gambling is now. Well, I mean, if you kind of think of poker, there, there's that mix of some level of skill. So, you know, being able to have, wear the poker face, read other people's poker faces, all, all that kind of stuff. Plus, there's chance. Um, and, and when you have that mix, people tend to underrate the chance and overrate the skill. They tend to think, you know, I'm good at doing something. Um, but of course, there's only so many people who know poker very well. When it goes into sports, we are all, all baptized in sport, and especially the Olympics. You know, I, I probably, well, I was going to say I probably watched Bruce, but I was actually born the year after Bruce, sorry. <laughs> but, but I certainly watched, you know, the Olympics. It's a family thing, the Winter Olympics, the Summer Olympics, and, and sports from young, you know, Maple Leafs, hockey, et cetera, et cetera. And so we already feel like, many of us, that we have some expertise. And now we feel like, oh, I can use my expertise to make money. And what not enough people realize is the point that you just made a little bit earlier. When they figure out the odds, they're figuring it out based on people who know what they're doing, right? It's right. it's not like they, they just have random odds. And if you have some intelligence, you're going to beat the odds. No, no. They are, they are stacking the odds against the most intelligent people playing against them so that they still win. And now to the extent you're betting on anything you're not very knowledgeable about, you're way more likely to lose. But the sense that you have a little bit of expertise makes you go into these things feeling like, 
oh, I know I've got a better than chance rate of, of making some money here. And you know, when we talk about where would we like to see things go, I'd love to see obviously the ads banned. I would also love to see apps required to have a history so that you could literally see how much money have I put into this? So, right. so some information, not just these little, hey, you can set your own limits and all these little you know, things that us psychologists know don't do anything, but literally giving some data back to the person that informs them about their behavior and that maybe empowers them to want to make a, a change. So, so I absolutely think the banning of the ads may be just the first step and that there can be other things we can do to ensure that, that our kids especially, because that's when we indoctrinate them in sports, right? Do we want to be indoctrinating them do we want to think we're indoctrinating our kids in gambling when we take them to that little league game? Because you kind of are now. And, you know, those two are so entwined. And, and I think that's why it's so, it's so scary. It strikes me too, that there's, and I, I don't know if, I don't know if this really matters, I guess in the end, but the, the hypocrisy of it, right. There's a player, Calvin Ridley now back with the, Jacksonville Jaguars, who was suspended for a full season for gambling, not gambling on his own team, not but gambling, because if you're an NFL player, you are not allowed to gamble. But there's no doubt that the reason they expanded to Vegas, that they moved the Raiders into Vegas is because that's where the gambling happens. And that's the hub for the whole thing. And it just seems like they're taking the path of least resistance when it comes to all this. Well, DraftKings has a lot of money and they're willing to, you know, put on the Super Bowl halftime show or whatever it might be. We'll take that money. We'll accept that. We'll move to Vegas. We'll move the NHLs, move their hockey team into Vegas. Like that it seems like they're more than catering to the gambling community that they're actively reaching out to the gambling community to be a part of their sport now i mean that's just how much money is in it right bruce i think you wanted to jump in well i can jump in with another autobiographical story since <laughs> eric is wearing a green bay hat I yes, I is. <laughs> where i was very very critical of uh, the about what i read about the, the the gambling in professional sport. And I it was a throwaway line. I didn't really have very much data, but I was being very critical of professional sport, and that was one of the indictments I tossed in. One of the the other head table guests, Paul Horning of the Green Bay uh, Packers, passed along a note saying he'd like to meet me in the parking lot after the banquet. That being the, you know, traditional invitation to a fight. And I I made a very quick exit out the other way. Two weeks later, he was suspended for one year for his gambling habits. I agree with you entirely, Eric, that there's such a, a terrible double standard where athletes who act in in consistent with the messages they're receiving and bet are penalized, even though the owners, even though the, the, the leagues, even though the teams, even though the journalists actively talk up the gambling industry. And it's getting worse, as we saw with the suspension of the Ottawa Senators players a couple of weeks ago. I mean, this is their their industry. And yet, I mean, I, I don't think players should bet. And I, I do worry about the match fixing and the game manipulation that occurs. But uh, if, the, if the teams 
are are part of the the profit system from gambling, they're sending very, very mixed messages. And it's even it's even going beyond the team. There's one little story that really scared me in all of this, which is as I started um, chatting with Bruce and we started thinking, how can we get the message out? How can we make people kind of get excited about this and, and make sure they're writing to politicians and such, which is what we would really love. Um, you know, I started reaching out to people like I did with you, Eric, and said, hey, here's this, this story. We would love to chat about it. And in one case where, where I, I, I'm tempted to even name the media source, but I will not, um, yeah. but a news story. A person that I knew from a news story, I pitched the story and they let me know that, you know what, our parent media company um, has a deal with sports betting companies. Uh, and this is a major media outlet. And so they were basically saying, we cannot air that segment. We are not going to talk about this issue. So it's not just that this has invaded the sports world and that the, the sports networks have deals. It's, it's invaded the media world. And the same companies that give us our sports give us our news. And if they are now in bed with the gambling industry, wow, does it, you know, that that's just, I know conspiracy theories are not a thing we all love in this modern day and age, but this seems to be, you know, a real concern of, can we even get the message out there? Um, and, and I certainly hope we can. And I really appreciate opportunities like this, Eric, to do so. I find that, yeah, I find that really scary. I, I find that to be, I, I'm actually surprised to hear that. I would have thought that despite one of the major sponsors being a gambling, that you would still go ahead and run a, a story because it's a real story right I, and i always try to defend the media against the people who say that they make everything up and that it's all nonsense or whatever because there is a lot of journalistic integrity but to hear that does give some credence to the people who say you know media is bought and paid for and in a certain way that's that's exactly what you're saying right i can't run a story about gambling being detrimental to children because the people who pay for this company to stay on the air are invested in causing that harm to children in a, in a way, right? It's yep. kind of a stunning thing. And one of our worries is that the traditional media are facing so many financial challenges right now that the money available in these endorsement contracts with the gambling industry is, is going to skew more and more and more of what gets covered and what does not. Yeah. And again, for the average gambler to just kind of pause for a moment and say, how do these gambling companies have this power? How, how do they have the power to become entwined like nobody else has? How do they have the power to you know have media outlets shifting their behavior? They have that power because they have so much money, you know, enough so that Connor McDavid and Wayne Gretzky ha happily have you know little, little ads that they don't, neither of them really need to do. You know, the money must be really, really good. Where are they getting all of this money to have all of this power, they're getting it from you every time you use that app. That's how much of a powerful source of money that is. That's how it pulls money out of people's pockets. And so to stop and think about that for a moment and say, okay, that's what I'm feeding. Do I really want to be feeding that? Um, but that's how powerful the industry is now. And I, I was thinking too, uh, you know, celebrities, I mean, we, we just did an episode on addiction and, and drugs in general. And I was thinking, you know, people like Keith Richards, gl glamorized for having spent an entire lifetime doing drugs, still being alive. But he's also rich enough to make sure that what he's doing is of a certain quality. And 
the harms that come are to people on the other end of the economic spectrum, right, where they don't know what's in the drugs that they're purchasing. And I'm wondering if the same is true for gambling. We sort of celebrate some people, Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan, who went to the casino and spent, you know, $800,000 in a night. Ha ha ha. Look at that. Right. They can afford to do that, that it's not going to bankrupt them, but it absolutely might to somebody else who's just, you know, starting into this and getting really swept up in it. Is there that sort of economic disparity among the harms that are caused here? I mean, there's certainly more of a of a pillow to absorb some of that if you've got a whole lot of money, whereas a lot of people, you know, the, the real danger with gambling is people think they're going to come out ahead. And there's that sense that if you're getting yourself into a hole, the more you're into a hole, the more you need to keep gambling. So we already know this with random reinforcements, that they're resistant to extinction. Almost the more you lose, the more you believe that next win is just around that corner. Uh, we, we know that's normally how random rewards work. So they they keep you going. But when you're needing the money, when you suddenly don't have enough money to pay the rent anymore at the end of the month, you only got those few hundred dollars left. It's, it's an obvious mindset to say, well, I'm going to have to use those few hundred dollars to gamble to try to get enough to get the rent. And so I think, you know, for a lot of people who start getting into that hole, it can that can be another driver that keeps them gambling is the fact that they feel like they need the money and until they're at an absolute bottom or nobody will loan them another dollar you know they they have to hit bottom and and we hear that often with a lot of addictions that you have to hit bottom so i, I mean i think it can happen to a rich person just as well they probably just have a whole lot more opportunity to get themselves out of that hole before somebody else and that's why I love this idea you've had of putting uh, sort of a counter on the app that you have to see every time you go in how much money you have spent and p poured into that over the course of, of, of having it. Now, we have just a few minutes left. So, Bruce, I'm hoping you can uh, just tell us about your organization and how people can get involved and, and whether people can do anything uh, from home. We'll put all of this in the show notes, along with Steve's uh, excellent blog about the weaponization of psychology in this matter. Well, our organization is Ban Ads for Gambling. And we've got a website with that name that is full of endorsements, research, information about the political situation in Canada. There is currently a private member's bill in the Senate introduced by Senator Marty Deacon from Ontario, supported by Senator Brent Cotter from Saskatchewan. And that's working its way through the Senate. It will then go to the House of Commons. And we are asking, we are asking uh, people to write senators and members of parliament, asking them to support the bill. It is our hope that over the next uh, six to eight months, the bill will be approved both by the Senate and the House of Commons, and then the government will endorse it, and then it will be proclaimed by the governor general and become law. But to ensure that, people have to write write their senators and their MPs. So that's all we ask. There's a letter on our website to enable them to do that. It shows them where, what the addresses are. That's, that's not everything that needs to be done, but that, that is an important first step. And if, if I could just add a couple of things to that. So first of all, you know, we're older 
letter writing type people <laughs> for the younger um, social media post people. I've, I've heard that if you include the title of the bill or the name of the MPs in your posts on social media, that they have people working for them that scour the internet for, for such mentions. Uh, and so that that's another way of, of having your voice out there, talking about it, spreading the word to other people. I've got my 1800 student class right now creating public service announcements. There's a hashtag, we the out cry, which is a response to a magazine article that says, hey, this gambling is going crazy. Where is the outcry? Our class is trying to be the outcry. So hashtag we the outcry. We're going to post their PSAs with that or they will. And anybody that can just talk about this on social media, get the talk going, uh, reference those MPs. Uh, again, you can find it all on ban, ban ads for gambling.ca. Reference the actual bill in your discussions. And that alone will let the senators know um, what you're feeling, what your thoughts are, and will help the cause. The bill is Bill S-269. All right. We will put all of this in the show notes. So for anyone listening now, you can just go to the show notes and take a look at all of these different links and hashtags and the social media campaigns. Thank you both so much for appearing on Mindful, brought to you by Bodog Sports. Uh, joking. <laughs> you know, it hasn't invaded the podcast space yet. Now it's still all Squarespace and Kind Bars and Bomba Socks and whatever, right? One day we'll have a sponsor. It's not going to be a sports gambling company. Thank you both so much for being here uh, and for speaking with me today. Uh, I appreciate the time. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. There really is no respite as a sports fan from the continual normalization of sports gambling. Even the ads that warn about the dangers of gambling do so in a tepid way and redirect people to the same gambling sites that are causing the issues in the first place. You remember when cigarette ads were banned, but ads for smoking cessation showed people smoking in a glamorous way and may well have encouraged starting to smoke before they encouraged quitting? Yeah, kind of like that. It's going to be a tall task to take this on, but it's important and Bruce and Steve are doing the work. Thanks to you for listening, downloading, streaming, and reviewing today's episode. If you'd like to get involved, check the show notes for the links to Bruce's organization and to Steve's blog and social media campaign. Mindful is written, hosted, recorded, and published by me, Eric Bullman. It's produced and edited by Jamie Montgomery. And our theme music is Avenues by David Taylor. 